You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, here we go. Um, so, yeah, why am I up here today? Uh, Adam Vinson's out on vacation, just enjoying some rest and relaxation with his family. Um, so he asked me to fill in as part of uh, the elder apprenticeship process that I'm going through. So about a year ago, um, just in a time of prayer and, and study, received just a call in my heart to pursue the role of elder. Um, I expressed that to the to the elders, and over the last year, we've kind of been on this journey of, of equipping. It with uh, I've been meeting with Tyson every week, written a couple of papers, and just pursuing that that office. And so as part of that, I'm going to get up and, and teach you guys uh, today on the topic of sanctifi- sanctification. Um, so a couple of things are going to be the same. A couple of things are going to be different. So we've got a summary sentence. So if you guys want to, uh, go ahead and start writing that down. So it says, pray for God to partner with believers and sanctification so that they are prepared for future callings and coming deception. So that's really a summary of what we're, what we're going to go through today. So yeah, a couple of things that are going to be different. You'll notice on your notes that there aren't any fill in the blanks. So I'll let you know when we go from one section to another so you can kind of follow along. But feel free to just take free-form notes, whatever you think is important and that you want to capture and that you want to um, record, um, and just write that in there. And then also, there's going to be application throughout um, the teaching time today. So as you hear something that you think that you want to apply to this, um, to your life, uh, go ahead and capture it there in the application section. And then at the end, I thought it would be neat if we just all share the applications that we've learned and learned from each other during that time. So that'll be a little bit different. We don't usually do that. So everybody good there? Great. Uh, we'll get, go ahead and get started. So today we're going to look at Colossians 1, 3 through 14, and we're going to learn about the doctrine of sanctification. And so why this text? Uh, this is my favorite piece of text. This is where I go. Um, like, like that was in the discussion questions earlier, where would you go to, to look for a description, a definition of sanctification, man's role, God's role? Um, how is it different from justification? All those, I would go to this, this spot, and, and you can answer all of that. So that's, that's why I picked this to talk from today. Um, and it's appealing because it's got all of those buzzwords in it. It's got bearing fruit, growing, good works, strengthened, endurance, patience, joy, love, and faithfulness. But really, the reason that I love it so much and that it's my go-to place is because I enjoy that it the emphasis that Paul places on prayer um, as it relates to sanctification. So in verse 9, um, Paul says that as soon as he heard the Colossians had come to Christ, he became, he began praying for their sanctification. So um, as the application for me that I've taken out of this, just as an example for you guys, is that I've begun to ceaselessly pray for the sanctification of my family, of my son, my children, my wife, my parents, um, everybody that's a part of my family. I'm praying um, for these truths to be a part of their life. So that's an example of an application that you can go ahead and record if you want to apply that as well. Um, but before we get get started, I'll go ahead and read it. We can talk through a definition of sanctification and then get into some of these bullet points. Sound good? Great. Okay, so we'll start in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven 
and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Awesome. Okay, so the definition of sanctification that we will be using today, and this is going to be sort of a chorus that is sung throughout the the message today. So um, the continuous progressive work done in partnership between God and man that makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ, though always falling short of completion and only ending upon physical death. So we'll be using bits and pieces of that throughout the whole message today to, to clarify and, and teach from. So first point there, spread the gospel and care for each other. So why is sanctification necessary? Uh, it's necessary for the spread of the gospel and it's necessary for the care for, for us to care for each other. So Paul is praying for the sanctification of believers in Colossae because it's necessary for the growth of the church. So in three through six, um, he says that when faith and love spring from the hope of the believer, the gospel bears fruit throughout the whole world. So the church at Colossae serves as a good example of what can result from the collective sanctification of believers. So uh, the church at Colossae wasn't planted by Paul. Um, it was planted by Epaphras, who was a disciple of Paul's in Ephesus. So it's a second degree of separation almost from, from Paul. And so as Epaphras became more like Christ, he was led to plant the church in Colossae. So his sanctification was bearing fruit in the form of the gospel growing throughout, throughout the world. So Epaphras' ministry is not a product of his own sanctification, but it's a product of the progressive sanctification of the church since the beginning of, of, um, of the church. So the signs of progressive sanctification in a believer's life, the knowledge and um, likeness to Christ, we see that in Acts 2. So the first Christians, they were selling their possessions, they were giving to those in need, um, enjoying Christian fellowship. They were extending hospitality to each other. They were praying for each other. They were studying the word. Um, that Those were the signs of their sanctification. But then over time, um, I'm going to draw this too while I'm talking. But over time, their their sanctification and their, their the progression of their sanctification um, began to call them into different, provide them um, different calling. So let me just draw this real quick. So sort of like that. And so you have sanctification here and then calling here, right? So over your lifetime, 
as your sanctification grows, your calling that you're going to be, that God is going to call you to is, is going to grow as well. Um, this isn't what mine looked like. Mine was probably more like this and maybe some of that, right? <laughs> it's not very linear. Um, but this is the sort of thing that we, that we're seeing in acts, right? So, um, those, those early Christians were, they started out, they received the Holy Spirit and they began to care for each other. But then over time you see in 13, they bec- in Acts 13, they became missionaries. They left their homes they, and went out across the world to plant churches. In Acts 20, um, they were, they were withstanding persecution and in Acts 7, they were, um, subject to martyrdom. So you can see that as their sanctification grew, the call to martyrdom is a lot higher than a call to care for each other and pray for each other. Does that make sense? So as the, the sanctification of the, the first church grew, that went on to Paul going to plant churches, and then those people, Epaphras, went and planted churches as well. Does that make sense? Track with me? Okay. So God has chosen person-to-person evangelism as a way in which the gospel will be spread to all peoples on the earth. And so sanctification is necessary for the equipping of the believer for evangelism. Um, So equipping could include desires for pastoral training, increased biblical knowledge, um, a global perspective that makes you feel burdened for the lost or maybe emboldened um, by the removal of fear. Um, So the gospel is going to bear fruit throughout the whole world when the process of sanctification is developed inside of the believer and an eagerness to share their faith. So it's not just you or you, but it's all of us together being sanctified together, and then the gospel will spread throughout the world as a result of our collective sanctification. Does that make sense? Awesome. Um, so the fruit referenced in one in Colossians 1 6 is the same fruit that's referenced in Acts 2 7. So the the fruit of sanctification is the gospel spreading from the earliest believers outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So as the gospel spreads throughout the world, you can also track that along with the, the sanctification of the believers. Does that make sense? Okay. Great. So uh, we're still in uh, number one. So that's how sanctification is necessary for the spread of the gospel. Now let's talk about how sanctification is necessary for the care of other believers. So in the same way that God has chosen to work through people to spread the gospel, he's also chosen to use believers to care for other believers. So a sacrificial, low view, low self-importance does not occur naturally in people. We are naturally focused inwardly on ourselves. So um, the only through sanctification in the area of humility can the lives of believers begin to have a lower importance of themselves and begin to put the needs of others um, above their own. And so if believers are caring for other believers in tangible, evident ways, then it's clear that sanctification is present in their lives. And so um, believers choose obedience through the sanctifying power of God within them. So the, the natural choices that we would make um, are different because of God's sanctifying power within us. That makes sense. So as a continuous progressive work in partnership with God and man makes Christians more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ, these characteristics grow and develop. 
So um, Romans 14, I think that when we covered Romans 14 here, that was my first ever Sunday. Just wanted to mention that. But um, Paul is calling believers to deny their Christian freedoms for the edification of other believers. And so um, that's where he's talking about the weaker brother and the stronger brother. So in verse 7, he outlines how obedience in this area makes us more like Christ. Um, So he says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. So centering our lives on denying ourselves for the benefit and care of others aligns us with the characteristics of Christ. So his life was lived perfectly, not for himself, but for the benefit of others. And his death was not experienced for himself, but for the eternal care of the souls of others. So growth and growth and humility is not uh, growth and humility is a common theme that Paul covers in a lot of his letters. So uh, Philippians two, three through four, he calls a Philippian church to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather to, in humility, value others above themselves, not looking for their own interest, but each of them to the interest of others. So the ch- that charge is is great. So do nothing out of selfish ambition. How hard is that? It's hard, right? Um, <laughs> so um, let's see. But it also appears as a great encouragement and an assurance to the believer. So in, um, we'll mention this in our small group. In Philippians 1.6, believers are assured that they can be confident that he who started, that he who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So as we see our um, messy lines of sanctification going on through our life, we can, we can be assured that God will finish that good work that he began in us. And caring for, and although caring for believers is difficult and unnatural, we know that as we display a willingness to obey, God will give us the necessary skills to um, to care for others in a way that's not natural. So, um, as we're called to difficult things, the strength is there to help us to obey. Everybody good? Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so that's everything for for number one. Everybody clear? Everybody understand? sanctification, how it's necessary to care for others and to uh, spread the gospel. So we'll go to number two. So in number two, uh, we'll look at Colossians 1, 12 through 14. And so this is where we're going to look at um, the discussion question that was about the difference between justification and sanctification and the reason to have a clear understanding of that. So let's read. I'll read 12 through 14 real quick. So giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of our sins. So um, I think for me, I think maybe for you guys too, one of the great tactics that Satan uses is to accuse and confuse the believer as it pertains to the doctrines of sanctification and justification. So um, as we have these ups and downs, uh, plateaus, setbacks, um, Satan will accuse us of not being righteous, of not being saved, accuse us of our legal standing before God. And that can cause doubt, despair, um, and so when these doctrines are confused or misunderstood, um, it begin is not healthy for us. We t- 
to be able to fight against um, the deception of Satan, we need to be able to understand and clearly see what is sanctification, what is justification, and what is our relationship um, to God. So be glad each day we can join Paul in joyfully and joyful thanksgiving for our unchangeable righteousness in God's sight. So prepare yourself for the deception that's coming. Prepare yourself for the accusations of Satan by increasing your understanding of these doctrines. So first we'll look at um, sanctification, make sure we understand that really good, and then we'll talk about justification and see how that's different and make sure we we understand what each is. That good? So first, so again, that definition, sanctification is a continuous, progressive partnership between both God and man that makes Christians more and more free from sin, more and more like Christ, though always falling short of completion and only ending upon physical death. Okay. I should have put a, I should have made a slide for that. Um, Sanctification is a continuous progressive work. It's a partnership between both God and man that makes Christians more and more free from sin, more and more like Christ, though always falling short of completion and only ending upon physical death. Got it? Yeah, okay. Awesome. So this is really what um, Paul is referring to in Philippians 1.6. So when he says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So sanctification is what happens in the believer's life as we grow in knowledge of and in relationship to Jesus. So each day Jesus should have a progressively greater influence upon the thoughts, actions, and opinions of those who profess faith in him. So the difference between, so that's sanctification. Now let's look at justification, make sure we understand the differences there. So in comparison to the lifelong journey that is sanctification, justification is a singular, once-for-all work, depending entirely upon God, that restores our legal standing before him by imputing the righteousness of Jesus upon the sin-filled life of the believer and resulting in perfect standing before God. So that was a lot. That was a mouthful. But it's think, think less of a progressive work and more of a one-time legal standing before God. And that has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. So this is a partnership. Sanctification is a partnership where both man and God have some responsibility, whereas justification is dependent solely upon God. So in Colossians 12, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 12 through 14, Paul provides some key terms here that can help us understand. So he points out that the act is initiated by God the Father, that through justification, believers are qualified to share in the inheritance of he has established for his children, they gain possession of the righteousness of Christ and receive forgiveness for all past, present, and future transgressions. So God qualifies, God rescues, God redeems, God forgives. And because he does all of these things in an act of justification, believers are included in the inheritance of his eternal kingdom. So we see the, everybody clear? We got a work of God, and then we've got the partnership that is progressive throughout all time. Yes. Yeah, okay, good. So that's everything in number two. Um, Let's go on to number three. So know your role and God's role in sanctification. So here we'll look at Colossians 1, 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
So again, sanctification, it's a continuous progressive partnership between God and man, resulting in man becoming more like Christ. And so from among, so this is a uh, role of God. Sorry, I forgot to say that. This is God's role. Um, so from among the many examples in scripture where God partners with man, uh, we're going to talk about four. Okay. So the first one is a continued from um, Colossians 1. And so it's God being active in the sanctification of man through the equipping of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we begin to see um, being filled with the knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so Paul is praying that God will give the believers in Colossae wisdom, knowledge, and understanding through the Holy Spirit. And so throughout Scripture, throughout our lives, we're going to be asked to believe truths that aren't natural to believe. So um, picture the calling of the first disciples. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. That's through the equipping of the Holy Spirit. When we're asked to sell our house and move to Uganda and quit our job, that's the equipping of the Holy Spirit. When we aren't agreeing with something that's going on at work and the Holy Spirit works in our lives to quit because we we don't align with that, that's that's a truth that doesn't align with normal thinking. It's a supernatural effect upon our, our hearts and our minds. And so it's cool to see uh, examples of that sitting right here in front of us, exem- uh, examples in Scripture. But that's the first way that God is active in um, the sanctification process is he lays those truth on our heart um, and then calls us to obey. But on, I think obedience is only possible through that that equipping of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first one, equipping of the Holy Spirit. Second one, the use of trials. Um, the use of trials in the life of the believer is the second instrument that God uses in sanctification. So in James 1, 2 through 4, um, there's a detailed kind of timeline that you can follow of how trials work in the life of the believer. So first, the trial tests the faith of the believer. Then it will develop perseverance, and then perseverance produces a spiritual maturity and a complete faith. So the end result is why James, this end result, the complete faith, is why James commands us, commands believers to approach trials um, that they face with, with pure joy. So it's really interesting to think through what causes me pure joy, and then is this trial that I'm going through making me feel that way? that's a good filter to use. So picture like the birth of your child or graduation. Are you as happy about this trial as you were about that moment? Um, and Paul, I mean, James, the book of James tells us that we should be because the end result is going to be a complete and pure, a complete faith, which is just as valuable as any of those other moments in our life. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Um, so, God sanctifies us through trials, and he sanctifies us through the equipping of the Holy Spirit. So a third example to highlight is God providing commands to follow. So we talked about this in our small group as well. Um, Commands serve as an instruction on how to live life. That is a reflection of how Christ lives. So if we want to be more and more like Christ and more and more free from sin, God is giving us commands in his word to follow that will make us act that way. So in... 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. We won't read all that. It's a lot. But it's a full list of instructions for the believer that when applied will result in a life that is a reflection of Christ. So in that section, God commands the believer to respect authority, live in peace with each other. Um, he warns the idle. He, he, encourages, he calls us to encourage the timid. Um, he calls us to help the weak, to be patient with everyone. He calls us to be kind. 
He calls us to avoid repaying evil with evil, to be joyful always. He calls us to pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. So the believer's obedience to each of those commands will naturally result in a life that is more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ. So that's the third tool that God would use in sanctifying believers. And then the last one, the fourth one, um, is that the life of the believer is transformed by grace. So 1 Corinthians 15.10, the life, let's see, grace not only provides forgiveness for our sins, but it gives us the ability to change. So when an individual repents of their sins and accepts the grace of Jesus, that is, it has a changing effect upon them. So Paul states in this verse that God's grace was not without effect. Um, so he's not, he said, I worked harder. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So Paul's interaction with God's grace was a changing experience for him. So he was different after receiving it, both in standing before God and in his works. So Paul no longer persecuted the church and killed Christians, but he then began to sanctify, sacrifice himself for it, just as Christ did. So receiving God's grace sanctifies us, makes us more and more like Christ. Okay, so uh, we have one more, and then uh, we'll talk application, and then uh, we'll be done. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. So that's God's role. What is man's role? That's that's a big piece that we, we left off. Um, so what is what is man's role? What is your role in your sanctification and in the sanctification of uh, your family? So because sanctification is a partnership, the role of the believer must be explored in addition to the role of God. So focus on application here from the scriptures that, that we reference. So these scriptures will detail how you're called to participate. So first Colossians one nine, we've read that a couple times, but for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul says, as soon as he heard that the Colossians had come to Christ, he began praying for their sanctification, not sometimes, but continually. So examine your prayer list. Um, does it contain items that you pray for continually? Um, things that are never removed. So in D.A. Carson's book called A Spiritual Reformation, he urges believers to examine the content of their prayers. So as if your prayers are overly focused on one-time specific requests, I would, as a point of application, a- encourage you to add something like this onto your prayer list, something that never comes off, something that you don't stop praying for until um, physical death, something that can never be 100% achieved, but something that you're just partnering with God, God in doing. Praying for it once will not do. Um, so like Paul, we need to pray for the sanctification constantly so that God is constantly involved in the partnership. Um, so a believer participates through prayer, both for themselves and for other believers. So um, praying for your your family members, but also praying. Um, this has just been on my heart for the last couple of weeks. So praying that God would turn me into the man that I need to be for the callings that he's called me to um, so that that intersection is always correct. And, and um, as you think about a fraction that the top and the bottom number always equal one, right? So as that number can get higher and higher, but as long as they're both the same number on top and bo- top and bottom, it equals one. That makes sense. 
Um, so in addition to prayer, the believer participates in sanctification by learning and obeying God's word. So we kind of talked through that as well. So um, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3, um, Moses writes this to the to the Hebrew, to the, to the um, nation of Israel. So these are the commands, decrees, and laws of your Lord God. The, your Lord God directed me to teach to you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as they live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that you all may enjoy a long life. So be intentional to participate in sanctification of yourself and other believers by praying continually and learning to obey the commands that we have in Scripture. Um, so that as we as we um, go along in life, we're progressively becoming more and more like Christ and more and more free from sin. So any questions on that? Everybody good? All right. So now we really are in the final section. Um, so uh, number four, uh, an example to follow. So this is something that I, I was thinking through as well, that um, in addition to praying for the sanctification of myself and of my family, um, I think that I'm going to add in to pray for more examples to follow. So we have um, the life of Christ that we can use an example. But um, it's cool here that in this section, we have a decent amount of information about Epaphras as well. So uh, Epaphras can serve as an example to us, but also just praying for other men and women to come into our life that um, will give us fresh perspectives on our sanctification and where we're at, where they are, and they can serve as sort of a benchmark for us. So uh, let's look at one Colossians one ten. So, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Is that where I'm at? No, I'm in one seven. So here we go. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So the goal of sanctification, if if we're going to call, I think that's what we would call verse 10. We pray this, that you may live a life worthy of your calling, live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work growing in knowledge of God. So if that's the goal of sanctification, if we want to be more and more like Christ, more and more free from sin, um, then we can look at the life of Epaphras and see what is he doing and see where, where how we can begin to apply some of the things that he's doing to our life and, and begin to go on that, um, that journey. So uh, the life of someone who's being sanctified is characterized as a life where, one, where fruit, good works, and knowledge increase. So um, the life of Epaphras is discussed. We talked about that. So in these four, and it's also at the end in 4, 12, and 13 as well. So if you would like to read some more about Epaphras, you can go there also. So these four verses serve as an example uh, to believers of what a life, what the life of a believer should include and what the fruit of sanctification looks like. So he's referred to as a faithful minister of Christ, a fellow servant, a prayer warrior. Uh, so believers can use these characterizations as a benchmark for evidence of the sanctification in their life. So are you a faithful minister of Christ? Um, are you intentional to share 
the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you burdened for the lost? How are you using your time and your talent and your resources to serve others? Do you wrestle in prayer for the perseverance of other believers? Uh, So your answers to each of these can serve as an application point for you and help you think through how you might begin to partner with God in your sanctification. So view the life of Epaphras as a starting point for the ultimate goal of being more like Christ. All right, so to conclude, I would love to hear, hopefully, some point of application for someone. So I told you mine, uh, beginning to add in prayer for um, examples to follow for our family. Um, And then the previous um, points of application to pray for this ceaselessly for my family. Did anybody else have one that they would like to talk through? Yeah, Andrew. So small disclosure, I cheated and studied Colossians. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that stood out for me, uh, just in all of reading, was uh, starting in verse 4, uh, since we heard your faith, and just talking about how, how they heard about their, how they placed their hope and how that was laid up in store for them in heaven. And it got me to thinking as far as, like, is there tangible evidence in my day-to-day life that my actions and my thoughts and my words are flowing out of the fact that I'm looking up my hope placed in what is store in heaven? And I was reading a commentary of Matthew Henry and a couple things. Um, one of his quotes was, what is laid out upon believers in this world is much, but what is laid out for them in heaven is much more. Uh, the more we fix our hopes on recompense and reward in the other world, the more free and liberal shall we be of our earthly treasure upon all occasions of doing good. So the example followed there for me kind of flowed out of the Colossians. You have this picture of new believers who are just on fire and they're only thought is of what's to come. And it may be there's uh, Romans 12, 11, says not be slothful until you'll be fervent in spirit. And that's what the picture is painted there. So my application was more so based on fixing our eyes on what's above instead of the, the pursuits of this world. It allows us to let go of those and then fill the void that's left behind with kingdom work. That's great. Thanks. 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 Um, I think I'm been challenged this morning to reconsider some of my prayer priorities Um, because I think I do pray often for other specific momentary requests for other people and then because I know my own heart I spend time praying about my own sanctification but I really like what you were talking about where there are prayer requests that are always worth praying for for the rest of my life which include the sanctification of people who are around me Um, and so I'm encouraged to pray for the sanctification of people in my family and other people around. Awesome. Thanks. I'll be the only heathen in the room that talks about <laughs> sanctification from the perspective of work as if it depends on you, knowing that, being hopeful that it all depends on God. Mm-hmm. But the whole aspect of, I really enjoy theology, but as a fireman, kind of getting your hands onto the work, am I working? to be more Christ-like. So there is a partnership, but am I a good partner to God? Am I pulling my part of the load? And I think, no. (laughs) You know, I think most of the time the answer is no. If you're going to give yourself a good, honest, humble, sober look. And I think that it's really good to see the hope of Christ and that it's stirred up in God so that we do not become despairing. But also, I think we probably need a kick in the pants. So like what you're saying, people around us can see the evidence that, no, that is a man of faith, and I can see it in his life, and I don't think that happens unless you're actually working on it. Mm -hmm. 
and it's pretty easy to get distracted going to work, raising a family, having a household, and not carrying that <coughs> concept of progressive sanctification like in a daily. Right. But I don't know we should. I agree. I agree. Um, so you, there were several things that have brought that you were talking about that brought me back to I've been memorizing Colossians um, and as my children and other family members who are here will attest I've not ever not once been known for my compassion or often kindness and I regret that greatly because in Colossians 3 he says uh, verse 12 therefore as God's chosen people which I was chosen Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I've really been praying that since I memorized that verse, to be more like that, to be more, because those are the embodiment of what Christ was. And you were talking about in terms of growing more and more like Christ and becoming more like Him. Um, I wish I memorized this verse or had it stick in my head you know, 30 years ago, but I was in a different place there. But, but I've been praying that verse to be more compassionate, more to even have a measure of compassion and kindness and gentleness. So the word is truly active um, as we delve into it more and make it part of our lives and part of what we think about and part of what we pray. I mean, you can pray God's word to Him because He gave it to us for that reason. So, as part of the sanctification, I'm trying to be more compassionate. Yeah. Uh, I was saying one thing that I just thought about, going off of what Daniel said, not even just necessarily praying for the sanctification of others around us, but understanding the role we have, possibly other people's sanctification, that like Paul says, when we pray for you, pray being active and ongoing. Like, for them to hear that from Paul, Right, would have served such a great encouragement to them because it their direct minister, but they know who he first heard the gospel from was Paul. That's you know, the main person at the time there. That for them to know that that's what they should be doing is encouraging others by letting them know that we're praying for you too, that it would encourage them to do the same thing and just encourage them to continue to grow. So to hear from other people to actually be in dialogue and say, you know, I'm praying for you in this area, just that can help someone to break stagnation, you know, in their own life to just know that we're, I'm not alone in this. I think that so, like me and Jessica, find a lot of joy in knowing that, like, we're doing what God has called us to do and being foster parents. But one of the most encouraging things I cling to is like on nights when it's super hard and this kid is like crying his face off, that like it's it's the tough situations like James was talking about, like kind of joy, my brothers. Like, face trials of various kinds because it's going to lead to you becoming more like Christ like that's that's what makes it like great you know that's what changes my perspective going through hard situations all right I'll close some prayer um Tyson's going to come sing one more song and then um yeah God just thank you so much um, for this time in the word that we got to have today. Um, thank you so much for the partnership that we have, um, with you, um, in the sanctification process. 
Uh, we just pray for the sanctification of the people in this church. Um, we pray that um, you would make them um, more and more like Christ every day, more and more free from sin. Um, God, help us, uh, help the responsibility on us to not be lost. Um, help us to um, evaluate ourselves um, and look for fruit, to look and, and see if we are um, doing our part, if we're being a good partner with you. Um, and just thank you for, for the way that um, we can share, share in this process with you. Um, also, thank you for um, saving us, for justifying us, and helping us to um, not have to, to worry about our standing before you. Uh, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.